If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's some on the back table. Feel free to grab one of those. Feel free to take one of those home if you'd like. But we'll be in Matthew chapter 1. We'll get there in just a second. Um, growing up, Christmas was an exciting, exciting time. Um, it, it's, it probably is for most kids. Uh, it's an exciting time for my family um, getting into our new house and just the anticipation, the kids being to see the presents uh, kind of accumulate under the tree. Uh, we had this um, rule. I don't know if it was like a rule rule, but like here's how Christmas went down in my house growing up. Okay. Um, there was nothing under the tree like this. Okay. Like you never got a peek. You never like saw what was coming. There was nothing under the tree. And then like Christmas morning, like bam, like you walk in the room and like Santa came, right? Okay. So here's typically how it went down. Like, okay. And I don't know if we as kids like unpack this rule or if it's just like, but my sister, Amy, would, well, she's always the first one up. It was always like 5, 5.30. Um, and uh, the, the conversation was like, you don't go see the bam until like you come and get me and my other sister, right? And so, um, I, you know, I'd venture to guess like she probably like broke that a couple times or what, whatever. She says no. Um, I don't know, but like, so 5, 5.30, and a lot of times they're like, she'd come and like, I mean, you know, had maybe a little bit of a hard time getting me up, but like our other sister, like, I mean, she'd be like, oh, no, just go, I'll come later, like, um, but like the anticipation, like we'd turn the corner and we'd be like, it's Christmas, Santa showed up, like, you know, we didn't believe in Santa, blah, 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 like, um, I don't know what you teach your kids, anyway, that's not really the point this morning, but, um, but it was just this exciting anticipation of what was coming. As we enter into this season of Advent, Advent means the coming. It's this, it's really the focus and the focus we want to have here these next three Sundays is to adore Jesus, is adoring the Christ child and his coming to this earth as a baby. And so what we need to do, what we need to do this morning, what we're going to do these next three Sundays is we need to help you. Uh, we need to look in the scriptures to get our perspective right as we enter into, as we're in, right, this season, okay? Um, the presence, the, the tree, the lights, um, all of that. I'm like, I love all of that. We, we engage in all of that. But as we're coming out of a series on perspective, it's an awesome transition into our series about Advent where we want to have a, the right perspective going into this season. So Matthew chapter 1, let's start at verse 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Okay, like that should be a problem verse for you. Um, if you know anything about biology, if you know anything about life, um, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Interesting. Um, the miracle of God to bring a child inside the womb of a virgin. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, and this is incredibly profound, which means God with us. The God of heaven came down to earth 
to dwell with us. 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. So he had been visited by an angel and given this vision that this prophecy would be fulfilled. And he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, listen to how it unfolds here. Listen to what happens. Go go on to chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to visit, saying, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Okay, so this prophetic vision had happened throughout the Old Testament that there was going to be born this child in Bethlehem, okay? So everyone's like, Wait a second, we've heard this. These Jews, we've heard this for so long, and it's, it's happening. It's actually happening. So, like, we got to go check this out. We got to go see this child who's been born. Verse 2 saying, Where is he who's been born, King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. But when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Okay, so here's the king. He's like, uh oh. Like, I've been hearing about this one that would be born. Like, uh oh. Like, we need to go check this, this out. So he summons his men. Then jump down to verse 7. Herod summons the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had happened. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search out diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so I too may come and worship him. Liar. Right? I mean, Herod, putting on a front, putting on this facade like, oh, glory to God in the highest, the child's been born, I want to come and worship him. And we know how it unfolds, right? Absolutely not, he doesn't. He wants to get words so he can come in and what? Do away with him. Do away with him. Look at verse 13. Now when the wise men had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Listen, all this talk in the recent years about removing Christ from Christmas, about no more Merry Christmas, we're going to Happy Holidays, right? All this talk, listen, that's been the story from the beginning. From the very beginning of the incarnation, Christ coming to earth is the attempt to remove him from the story. To remove him from what this is really all about. So we, as we move forward this morning, that's what we want to be careful of. That's what we want to guard against. Because here's what we do. If you're like, if you're like me, you sit in judgment of Herod, right? Right? What, what did he do? He didn't put out a you know, decree. All the kids, he couldn't find Jesus. So he's like, all the kids under two, we'll kill them. And we'll get them that way. Didn't work. But we sit in judgment of King Herod. And all the while, we, we do it all the time, right? 
We remove him from our lives. We remove him from the meaning of, of what this season is all about. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Because Jesus really knew this would happen. He knew this was coming. Um, he knew the predicament that we were in. It's interesting how we live in a world where we're just never quite really satisfied, right? Um, so one of my daughter's favorite places to go, um, this probably won't surprise many, but is the Apple store. Um, and uh, she can even spot it from, um, you know, way down the mall. And so we went to the Apple store to do some shopping. Um, and I was like, Mikhail, you want to play on the kids' computers? Right, you know how you go in there if you've been in there and they got like these like, I don't know what they are, these little ball things you sit on that the kid, you know, even I'm like, wow, like, what is that? Like, you walk into the store, and you're just like, this place is, unreal. like, you know, it's this whole marketing gimmick deal, and so Mikhail walks in, and she's done, she's gone there and played before, and she walks in, and she sits down, and she's like, and they, if you've been there before, they used to have all these iMacs for the kids to play on, right? Well, they switched it. Now they have iPads for all the kids to play on, and Mikhail, like, sits down, and she's like, Teddy, I don't want to play on an iPad. Like, because we have an iPad at home. She plays on an iPad all the time. Like, she's, like, getting into, like, playing on the computer, using a mouse. And, like, Mikhail, you can't touch the screen on this one. Like, she's like, well, I don't understand. And um, so she sits down, and she's like, I don't want to play on the iPad. I'm like, wow. Like, I mean, think about what, what our kids in this generation are growing up in. Right? I mean, it's such a good thing that the iPad mini came out because my hand was getting cramped from having to hold that big old iPad. I mean, it's crazy. I'm not against the iPad mini. One might show up in my house one of these days. I don't know. But, like, the way the, the world is drawing us into what matters in life, and I've got to have the next thing Christ knew our predicament. He knew what would be running after. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Here's what it says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Okay, this, this verse is, has this underlying declaration that you and I have a need. Okay? That we had some need in our life that needed someone to come in and intervene. Which is why God sent His Son, right? That there's this need. And we have some lack. Okay? And that there's the riches of Christ. What, what does it mean to be rich? For, on a fundamental level, here's the, the definition of what it means to be rich. In abundance, wealthy, to have a great deal of, to be generous. Think about it, okay? God comes to earth, okay? But, but what it says that he was rich. It says that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So what does that mean? What does it mean that, that Christ is rich, okay, in person, the eternal God. What goes through your mind when you think about God? What goes through your mind when you think about the eternal being, all-knowing, not bound by time, not bound by space? He's rich in his possession. 
everything. Everything. And he owns it all. He's rich in his position. Like any king that's ever walked the face of the earth, any leader that's ever led, any master that's ever been in charge. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of all the lords in the earth. His position is vast. It's great. He's rich. But his power, this is one of my favorite ones. His, his power, okay? Do, do, you, do you fathom the power of God? Well, let, me, let me help you. Job 39 says that he gives the horse its might. The Bible says that he determined the measures of the earth. So like when he's creating, he's he's speaking his creation, and the waters are, are covering the earth, and he says, this far you shall come, and no further. That's power. That's unbelievably powerful Job 38 says that he has the ability to lift his voice to the clouds and bring rain. Can can any of us do that? Can we go outside right now and command that it rains on the earth? Job 38, 31 says that the constellations are at his mercy and command. He measures the heavens in the span of his hand. Job 40, verse 12. I'm sorry, Isaiah 40, verse 12. He sits above the circle of the earth. And his people are like grasshoppers. You know what's fun to do with a grasshopper? Throw it up in the air and hit it with a tennis racket. His people our lives sorry about that <laughs> it is you should try it especially lightning bugs that's not what the text says so Those people are like gra- like grasshoppers like I, I, some of you probably know like you know that's you know like they, they have some use and here's what they're beneficial for i'm like grasshoppers Because that put us in perspective. Does that put the power of God in perspective this morning? And he came here. He came here. He became poor, the scripture says. what, What does that mean? He left the throne to become a servant. Okay? Sitting on the throne. When you think of a throne, you think of the rights, you think of the royalty, you think of whatever I want at my beck and call, I get because I reign. He came to earth in the lowest of forms. He came to earth. And he took on human form and limitation. Um, several, uh, a couple years ago, we were um, on vacation in Chicago, and we're uh, on the beach, uh, Lake Michigan, and we're playing in the sand. So I'm teaching Mikhail all the ways of mastery 
um, architecture and sandcastles, right? Um, and so, um, you know, she's just like throwing it. And I'm like, no, you don't understand, babe. Watch this. And so we get the bucket and we start just building this thing, right? And just like this thing's going to rock and just building this thing out. And, you know, the moat and like the bridge and like the whole deal, right? You know what we did when we got done? We destroyed it. We kicked it through sand. We rolled over it, threw water on it. What would it be like if after constructing that sand castle, I could somehow change my form to get in that thing? If I could humble myself, if I could change my, my, my status, my, if I could get in the sand, if I could walk in the rooms as if I could make rooms of a sand castle, if I could walk across the... Br- like, kicked it over. We destroyed it. He came in human form, limitation. He came, he entered into his creation. He became a creature. He laid aside his possessions, Philippians 2 says. Matthew 8 says he had no place to lay his head He voluntarily impoverished himself so that we might become rich. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. Check this out. That he became sin. He became sin. The God of heaven came to earth and became sin. He became poor. What does it mean to be poor? To be a beggar, to be destitute, to be lacking. One of the most ironic things to me um, about social media uh, is, is the ability for, and I'm guilty of it just as much as anyone else, is the ability for us to make ourselves look so good. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, look like we have it all together, and so we post a status that people are like, wow, like, isn't that person just this marvelous person, and look at what they're doing. And um, but, but one of the things that um, kind of baffles me and I don't know, I might step on some toes here, but that's okay. Um, it's like, yeah, you can list, like, you know, your hobbies. You can list, like, your job. You can list, like, what you do. But, like, the whole, like, the job status thing, like, we make ourselves, we market ourselves, we make ourselves sound so good. So it's like, yeah, my job, um, I'm the media publications administrator. You're a paper boy, all right? You're a paper boy. Uh, I'm the transparent wall maintenance engineer. You got it? You clean windows, okay? You're a window washer, not a transparent wall maintenance engineer. Um, What do you do? I'm the environmental maintenance officer. You work for Allied Waste and you're the trash man, okay? You're not the environmental maintenance officer, okay? Like, we have the uncanny ability to make ourselves look like, holy cow, look at that person and what they do and who they are and aren't they unbelievable? And probably one of the most amazing things that I need to convince you of or help convince us of this morning 
that that's just not true. Like, we don't have it all together. We're lacking. We are poor to the poor. We're the, the, the worst of the worst. You wonder how the Bible describes the human condition? Romans chapter 3. It says this. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, which is a snake, is under their lips. And their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet is swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Genesis talks about that the thoughts and intentions of man's heart is only evil continuously. Now get this, okay? You're like, why are you pounding us? Like, we're, like I'm getting to the hope, right? But like, this is the condition, and this is what Christ came to enter into, that we talk about, that we celebrate in this season of Christmas. But here's the crazy thing about what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 does, as it equates poverty with sin okay when you think of poverty you think materially the world thinks materially but those don't matter you can have nothing you have christ you have everything right you can have everything you don't have jesus So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is saying that the poverty's condition that Christ entered, that this baby came to do something about is the sin problem in our lives. Um, one of the most um, profound memories as a kid, Christmas, is the memory of um, when I saw one of my presents. I think I've shared this story before. I saw my, my dad was wrapping the present and um, in a room, and I saw him walking in the room at the present. Oh, I was so pumped. It was like this remote control car. Like, it's exactly what I wanted. It's like, yeah, I'm getting it. Like, um, and so, Christmas Day, right? Um, ready to dive in, and what do I do? I'm like, it's about yay big. Like, it's that one right there. It's it. It's that one. So I go for it, right? Um, I go, I start ripping it open. My dad knew me pretty well. He knew that I saw it. He knew that I'd want it. He knew that I'd go for it. So what did he do? He set up a decoy. No joke. He might have been fairly strategic because one of the things that he used to shape the box the same size as the other box was like a box of tissues. Now those came in pretty handy because I bawled my eyes out. was deceived and i think they felt bad and they like you know dug to the back of the tree or whatever and got the actual one I'm, like, I'm sorry it's okay you're here to play with it like i hope you put the batteries in it my dad was amazing at gifts and wrapping and he was the guy who you know your present was like this big i remember one time he, he got my mom a credit card for christmas which is just kind of funny and uh and 
he put it in a box like, like this. And then it was inside like seven boxes. Anyway. <laughs> Crazy. Deception. Okay. Genesis chapter 2 says that, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3 says that the enemy is the most crafty, the most deceptive being on the planet. Okay? That the enemy is distorted. Okay? It gets us to go after what we think is the real thing, what's the, the same shape, the same size, what we think is the real thing, but ends up not being really where it's at. Okay, here's how it goes down in Genesis chapter 3. Satan, the most crafty being on the planet. Here's what Genesis 3 says. Listen to this. Talking to Eve. You will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Sound familiar? In the Garden of Eden? Satan, crafty. What's he saying? He's saying, God's a liar. It's controlling made a mistake he doesn't want you to be like him so what you need to do is you need to run from him you need to run after life you need to pursue the things that god says not to pursue you need to be your own god god doesn't want you to be like him if you eat of this fruit, if you run after this sin, you'll be like him. The truth of the matter, though, that God says is this. Genesis chapter 2. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Translation, he's like, you have everything. It's yours. Go, run after it. Run hard after it. But there's things that will hurt you. There's things that will kill you. There's things that you need to be careful of. That over there, don't go there. But everything else is yours. You have everything in me. Trust me. Run to me. Listen, here, here's what he says. Be a creature. I created you. You're a creature. Be a creature. Don't try to be me. Don't try to be God. And what did man do? Man sought to be God. Because we have everything in him. Okay, so this great exchange, Martin Luther, C.S. Lewis calls it the great exchange. Okay, our poverty for Christ's riches, Christ becomes poor so that we'd have everything. What, what does that entail? How are we rich in Christ? Romans 8, 17, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And we have this ad adoptive identity. Romans 8, 15 says that once we were not a people and now we are a people that we have an inheritance waiting for us that's present, imperishable, undefiled, 
unfading. You don't have to worry if it's going to be there. You don't have to worry about keeping it. It's there. It's unfading. The Bible says it's kept in heaven for you. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. Victorious. We sit here today. Listen. You're victorious. You're like, no, I'm not. You don't know my night. You don't know my week. No, listen, church. You're victorious this morning. Do you believe that? Sin has no power over you. Church, do you believe that? I'm, I'm looking in your eyes and some of you like, you're not quite convinced. Listen. Christian life is all about becoming in practice who you already are in God's eyes, right? And the last time I checked, Romans chapter 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That you're more than a conqueror. Like, how do you do that? Correct? Congratulations. You didn't only win. You really won. What? Like in Christ. We're more than a conqueror. We're victorious. We're set free from sin. We're indwelt by the living God. So you think you're, you're a piece of trash. You're sitting there and you think you're just garbage. Listen to me, Christian. God's in you. The God of heaven. Like, do you get that? And I'm not a guy preaching to the choir. I'm a preacher preaching to the preacher. You're not a piece of trash. The Spirit of God, Christian, is inside of you. That's the great exchange. Christ became that piece of trash on your behalf. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Ben, put that up there for me. Here's how it goes down. For our sake. For our sake. For our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. He knew no sin in the glories of heaven. In the glories of perfection. He became sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like listen. To the unbelieving world. And maybe there's someone in here that doesn't know the Lord. To the unbelieving world. That's ridiculous. Is it not? Like I was having a conversation with a coworker this week. And I was like, you don't need a guy in your life. You need Jesus. She laughed. I understand why she laughed. Like it's folly. Listen. To those that are being saved. To those of us who see with perspective. Who see the eyes with eyes that have been changed by God. With hearts that have been changed by God. And we look at what this season is all about. What this is, is all about. We know. Listen. That that one thing under the tree is just not going to do it for us. And maybe you just need to be reminded of that today. The biggest thing that I've been preaching to my soul in the past 
eight months as we long await the advent of entering into our home um, that we purchased in March, is this home is not my Savior. I've been living in a basement with two kids for three and a half years. Well, Tobin's only two and a half, but you understand what I mean. This home that the Lord's blessed us with and that all of you are going to be in all the time, I pray, it's not my Savior. It's not going to fix it for us. It's not going to do away with what's not working. It just causes more problems. Right, homeowners? Can I get an amen on that? Gosh, it's going to be a blessing. And gosh, the things in this life are a blessing when seen through the perspective the righteousness of God. But as you sit here, you're okay. As you sit here in these chairs, maybe you just got in a fight with the person next to you. Or maybe you're envious of the person across the room. Or you're not really looking forward to this Christmas season because of quarrels with family. Or suffering the loss of a loved one. Listen, job or no job, spouse or no spouse, kids or no kids. He became poor so that we might be rich. And the scriptures equate riches with your acceptance before a holy God. Not with what comes under here. So church, can we celebrate that this morning? Can we celebrate that this Advent season as we gather together, as we worship, as we have a Christmas dinner Wednesday night at the Gwyn's house? As you gather with your families, can we celebrate? Will you celebrate all that he is and all that he's done in the Incarnation? that we have in him. And I'll let you go on and read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and read around it because what it says, and I don't have time to unpack it now, is that when you understand your position in Christ, when you understand all that he's poured out in you, it makes you the most generous person in the world. That you have open hands. Nothing's mine. We teach this to our kids all the time. Mikhail was at the zoo yesterday. They were arguing about whose zoo it was. And Mikhail goes, is Jesus a zoo? It's kind of funny when she says it. But like, that's what, we, that's what we teach our kids. Like, it's not yours. Jesus is loaning it to you for you to steward for his name and his glory. Generous. Generosity. So this Christmas, don't be Herod. Don't do away with Jesus. But I'm also not advocating you be the Grinch. My daughter loves, my kids love the Grinch. <laughs> so how will you celebrate this Christmas season, this Advent season? Uh, let's pray and then respond. Papa, 
thank you for the identity we have in you, that we can call you Father. Thank you for the identity we have in you, that you're not a God who's distant and far off, but you're a God who, who's entered into our predicament, who's entered into our need, that you're a God who not only pardoned our sin, but you have poured out your love on us in the incarnation through the birth, life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so by the power of your spirit, you help us be moved and led by that this morning. We love you. Move in our hearts. Without you, we have nothing and we'll walk and run from you. And so we beg for you. In Christ's name, amen.